Well, welcome back to QAVTK, episode 534. I've already got a title for this episode, The Quaverick. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I haven't seen the movie, but I saw your title. That's pretty clever. Yeah, well, it's cleverer than the movie is. Anyway, The Quaverick. <laughs> That's you. You're not, the, you're not the maverick. What do we feel the need for? Conservative. I uh, feel the need, the need for conservative investing. We're going to get rich over a long time and let's not take too many risks. <laughs> yeah, there are no old, bold pilots. <laughs> yeah, there are old pilots and bold pilots. That's why I was saying to you, I think, the other day when we were talking about this, like I really hoped they would kill off Maverick in the new film and then they would sit around going, yeah, I guess he uh, he was a bit of a maverick, wasn't he, really? And that's probably not a good thing in a $25 million plane. A bit like uh, Steve Irwin, we should have seen this coming. It was going to catch up to him eventually. Uh, <laughs> like with the Karate Kid thing, the Karate Kid Cobra Kai, I don't know if you've watched that yet, but they've managed no. to, well, they've managed to take a cheesy, a cheesy but 80s classic and they've brought it into the 21st century by making fun like keeping the bits that were cool about it, but making fun of the 80s element and regurgitating the 80s elements. But then the younger generation, like the 20-year-olds in this, are going, you can't talk about women like that. You can't say that that's gay. They're like making fun of the 80s thing. And I thought with Top Gun that would have been a great idea to like just make fun of the 80s, but they didn't. But Enough of that. That's after hours. Well, it's been a choppy week. In the market. Mondays. Mondays. Uh, tell me why I don't like Mondays, Tony. It's usually because something bad happens in Wall Street over the weekend. Yeah, blame Jackson Hole in Wyoming. Yeah, my favourite place in America, by the way, Jackson Hole. You ever been to Jackson Hole? No. Oh, it's fabulous. It's beautiful. I want to retire there. Me and Harrison Ford, we're going to have adjoining ranches. You know, we'll go ride our ponies up to the fence and... Chew on a bit of straw. Just no. It's Jackson Hole's really, <laughs> really pretty. It's a little town, and they've got like um, arches as you go into town. Like Welcome to Jackson Hole, but made out of antlers. Everything's made out of antlers everywhere. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Anyway, Jackson Hole. Well, that's why the market crashed two percent on Monday because the it's the reverse of the whatever it takes moment. So Jerome Powell said he'll do whatever it takes to fight inflation, and the market went really <laughs> like a few months ago. <laughs> A few months ago, you said, oh, this will be a soft landing. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> they ran for the hills. He's saying they're going to push up interest rates further in the US and that's affecting the markets there and therefore the markets here. Yep. And plus it's also been, com- it's the end of company reporting season too. So it's uh, the last week of company reporting season, there's always the laggards, which are often the worst results coming out. Yeah. Well, we've seen a few of those hit. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Bad results coming out with any prior warning, which has been very painful. Just a heads up for QAV Club members, you might want to check your three PTL alerts on stocks with a sub-50 price, because I was doing a few of those a week or so ago and resetting my alerts, and I noticed that uh, they can change quite dramatically, quite quickly, the uh, sell price on some of these. If their L1 drops off the end or drops off the left of the chart, and, you know, they're relatively low prices, so they move pretty quickly. 
the next L one can be uh, it can be a lot of a, a lot steeper gradient on your your new cell line, which obviously pushes the cell price up. So. Just a reminder to check those. You you can let it go, you know, every now and again. You let it go for a month and you go, ah, won't it change much? And then you check one, you go, holy shit, that's gone up substantially since the last time I did it. Yeah, turn the calendar over and go and reset all your alerts in Stock Doctor or Yahoo Finance or whatever else you're using, for sure. Yeah, I try and do it the first week of the month, but, you know, sometimes I don't get around to it. But I think this month I did, and even then, within a couple of weeks, couple had moved very quickly because an L1 had fallen off, etc. Um, share a thought for poor Andrew Forrest, poor Twiggy Forrest. Bad news for him. A lot of moving movements going on at Fortescue this week, but Fortescue Chairman Andrew Forrest. It was announced that uh, due to the unfortunate circumstances that he's found himself in, he will only be taking home $2.34 billion worth of dividends this year. So I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. Could be rough times for Andrew Morris. Well, no, he's he's out building a new hydrogen future, isn't he? Green hydrogen. Yeah, that's how he that's how he uh, deals with the heartache of only taking home two point three four billion dollars worth of dividends for a year. Whoa! He is. It does smack of him pulling money out of the company, doesn't it? Really? Because the profit. <laughs> I saw. I just quickly glanced at the results. They are down like over twenty percent, I think, this year as the iron ore prices re- retrace. So he, I think he's seen that coming and he's just been taking money out to get it off the table for when the iron ore price goes down even further. But the financial review says Fortescue announced better than expected profits. <laughs> Maybe, but uh, this, they're still down quite a bit compared to last year. Right. Well, those of us that are Fortescue shareholders, which is probably most of our members, I, I assume, really? probably bought back in. Yeah. No, you don't think so? No, I don't know, but... I know I am. You're not You're not holding FMG? No, the iron ore price has been going down. Yeah, but I've held it for ages. Yeah, no, I've still got it. I sold out of it in, what, October or November last year. Yeah, but you didn't buy back after that? No. Oh, I bought back in at some point. Oh, I'm okay. <laughs> now I'm worried. Now you've got me. <laughs> now I'm now I'm wondering how what I did. Well, I own FMG anyway. I okay. own a bunch of I own a bunch of uh, iron ore stocks still. Really? Okay. Oh, oh yeah, man. Like GRR, it's a killer. Anyway, Fortescue shareholders apparently doesn't include Tony will receive a one dollar twenty one per share final dividend after a. $9 billion profit, they announced. Well, there you go. You will know what Twiggy Forest feels like then. You get $1.20 <laughs> per share as a dividend. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure that's going to really add up with my whatever, 100 shares or whatever that I have. <laughs> go and open a green hydrogen plant somewhere. <laughs> Uh, very good. Uh, but Elizabeth Gaines, I think, has she officially left now? I think uh, this week is her last uh, presentation as Chief Executive of Fortescue. So uh, tip, of the, tip of the QAV hat. Quite have a good rest of your career to Elizabeth Gaines, whatever you do next. Uh, you've She's staying at Fortescue. Is she? Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say she's like going to be the chair of the new part of it, the future, what's it called, Future Industries? Future, yeah, FFI? FFI, yeah. So I think they've actually hired someone to run it, but I think she's the chair of it. Ah, uh, okay. Cozy. 
yeah. cosy little chair retirement. Kicked for upstairs. Well, yeah, well, she's uh, she's done a good job in the time that she's been there. NCK also posted good results. Had a bit of a share price spike. Do you own NCK, Tony? I don't. No, just oh. I just noticed it came back on the buy list well, today, I think, or this week anyway. No, I've owned it in the past. It's a good business. I really like it. But um, I know you do. That's why I thought you'd buy, be holding it. I was for a while. No. Opia. Ophir? Ophir? I'm not sure. <laughs> Ofa? I'm not sure how these guys. Opa? Opa? Yeah. Do you know that for a fact? No? Oh. No, I don't know. I'm just making it up. There's a fund called O-P-H-I-R, Offer, uh, Offer, Offer. They're making an offer. Ah. I think it's like a .com way of saying it's an offer. You know, it's like funky spelling. Their tagline is, you can't refuse. (laughs) If I was their marketing director, it would have been, yeah, absolutely. Andrew Mitchell and Stephen Ng run Offer Asset Management. (laughs) You're having fun with pronunciations today, aren't you? (laughs) You're right there, TKO. (laughs) I'm good, Cameron, really. (laughs) They snared the number one ranking among Australian equity strategies on a 10-year time frame, according to FE Fund Info data. They returned 27.9% compounded annually before fees over a decade, delivered 21.9% a year after fees for the 10 years to July 31st versus 6.5% for the benchmark, which is the small ordinaries accumulation index they're benching themselves against. That's pretty good. Congrats That's to incredible. them. incredible. Yeah, well done. Tip of the hat to these guys. Main thing I liked in this article is a quote here from Mr. Mitchell. It says, every staff member at Offer must invest all of their equity market investments in the funds, including a significant proportion of annual bonuses. We're acutely aligned to our underlying investors. It's the only way to do it, we believe. If your fund manager is not invested in their own fund, you have to seriously question whether to invest. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like that. Yeah, I like that uh, policy. Good policy. Makes sense, right? It's the Warren Buffett way, isn't it? And the QAV way. And I think that anybody who's investing any funds should be asking that question of their funds. Do all of your employees and your senior executives invest all of their money in the fund? It should be a, that should be like a, you know, a, a benchmark kind of a thing. There should be the, the, there should be somebody reporting on that, like how many women are in executive ranks that we've talked about before. Another thing that should be tracked is uh, how much of your own money. And I know that in the checklist, board equity, how much equity the board holds is a really, you know, really big thing. We, you know, give it a couple of points if they hold more than, what is it, 5%? Five or ten, we've debated that in the past. Yeah, <laughs> Can't yeah look, it's actually, is, that's actually a really good point, Cam. If that, that is really the number one test for a good fund. If There almost should be like a government health warning. Yeah. The, the people warning. who run this fund don't invest in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could, could be dangerous to your bank account if you invest in this product. Yeah, but I'll try and see if we can get these guys on and, and see what they do. And interestingly, they were a very early investor in Afterpay. They bought shares for around $3 in August 2017 and then sold the majority of their holding around $120 in July 2021. So the only comment that I would make then is that this could be a timing issue, and I don't mean to belittle them at all, but we've just gone through the end of a tech boom. So if they were buying 
afterpays and stuff like that at the start and writing them through, they're going to have a great 10 years. Yeah, you know, obviously that would have really helped. But he said, this is interesting, the strategy is long only and typically holds between 30 and 50 stocks, which is uh, pretty high. Not necessarily. Uh, it is pretty no. high from a QAV point of view, but if they're buying Afterpay when it first starts, they wouldn't have been like, – I can't imagine they could have put a whole chunk in the fund. They probably need to hold 50 stocks just to not buy big positions in some small companies. Yeah, not to be over whatever exposed. The past decade's net return would have doubled an investment around every 40 months after management fees of 1.23% per year and a performance fee of 20.5%. So what does that mean? That's their performance fee. This is in a cheap fund. <laughs> Remember, it's got all their money in it. <laughs> so a management fee of 1.23% per year. So if you invest hundred grand in their fund, they're taking 1.23% per year. 1230 bucks. And then a performance fee of 20.5%. So that means if they achieve a certain result, they're taking 20% of the result. Yeah. So typically it's the outperformance. So you said before they were benchmarked against the small lords. So the outperformance of the small lords, 80% goes to the fund, 20% goes to them. So it says they delivered 21.9% a year after fees for the 10 years to July 21st versus 6.5%. So the difference between 6.5% and 21.9% would be their what their performance it's worse than that because you said before i think you said they got 27 percent before fees before fees yeah so it's a difference between 27 and 21 so six percent of the total fund value or fund performance for that year has been going back to them in fees so if you had 100 grand you pay them 1200 just to manage the fund for you and then if they made 27%, you've got 127 grand, but you give six grand back to them. So you're back to 121. So the 21.9% would be after the performance fee as well as the management fee. That's still yeah, a good it's return. It's still good. That's a great return, yeah. It's very good. All right, well, enough about that, but there you go. Congratulations. And, and I know that we have some um, listeners out there that aren't active investors. They, they're on your investment ladder. People listening to the free episodes of the show, they're on the ladder. They're looking for funds, so, uh, you know, not, not financial advice, but might be worth checking these guys out if you can get in. They've got $400 million under management. I don't know what the minimum amount is that you need to buy into a fund like this, but I like this too. He said that uh, they didn't have a 10-year party to celebrate their decade. It didn't feel right given all our funds are down over the last six months. We're focused on getting the returns back in the black. The fund has been caught up in the tech sell-off to fall 4.4% over the past year, but is still ahead of the negative 9.9% retreat for its benchmark. But anyway, thumbs up to uh, offer. Yeah, that's good. Not often that we get to say something nice about a fund on the show, so I thought we would take the opportunity because we get criticised from time to time for making anyway. fun of the funds. Oh, a couple of people are like, oh, will you stop making fun of funds? And tech stocks and BNPL stocks and yeah, like we, no. Well, are they the ones who are they the ones who like paying twenty percent of outperformance and one percent one point two percent of fees? Uh, I think they're just saying it's cheap. It's cheap shots. I think is what they're saying, okay. Tony. Cheap shots. Portfolio updates. 
getting to talking portfolios. Our DP, the DP is up. Good. It's still underperforming the sexy 200. Well, for this year. For the financial well, year. Yeah. The ASX 200, the sexy 200, is up uh, 10.57% for the financial year, which is insane because it's only the end of August. We're up, uh, when I looked this morning, up 4.74% for the financial year. Top performers for the financial year so far, LAU up 39%. For the financial year, wow. For the financial year. Is that Lindsay, LAU? Uh, Yeah, Lindsay, Australia. Wow. IGL up 33%. Wow. I remember when I sat on IGL for like a year and it didn't move and it's up 33% this financial year. NHC up 32%. NCK up 27%. We've got it in the dummy portfolio, even if you don't have it. And AMO is up 24.5%. So some really good performances there, but we're still like at 5%. For the first two months of the financial year, I'm happy with that. Normally, that would be good. Yeah, but I agree. Compared to the uh, sexy, it's uh, not so sexy. Since inception, though, of course, uh, we're up seven. And I think this is uh, almost next week. Uh, Well, two days, three days from now will be the third anniversary of us uh, closing the dummy portfolio, spending the first 20 grand. So it's been up and running for three years. 17% per annum is what it has performed at versus. Our benchmark, which is the sexy 200, which is uh, r- roughly 6% per annum over the same period. So we're doing a little bit less than three times better than the index since inception. Despite our underperforming it for the last year, we're still three times better off in, in over the three years. So that's kind of crazy. You know, it's crazy. We're not the fund managers taking 20% of the performance fee. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, not yet. Let's get. Let's let's. That should be the goal, though. Like I recall, when we started 2019, it was boom period. It was all BP and BNPL. It was all tech stocks. We had Alan Kohler on. This time, it's different. <laughs> we went through that whole thing where I thought, well, you know, value investing isn't really sexy right now. Like 2019, 2020. It was like, oh, you guys are boring, you guys are old. Then the crash happened, the COVID cough. And it seems like since then we haven't really been able to get our feet underneath us since the COVID cough. It's just like there was a big crash, big correction, sort of recovered quickly, but then it kept sort of correcting when there'd be lockdowns in Melbourne and Sydney again and this kind of the US. And then, then we had China and the trade war somewhere through there. And then we had Ukraine happen and supply chain issues. And, you know, the market's been down since March or April. It just seems like we've been fighting shit uphill the entire time we've been doing it. And yet still, we've somehow managed to got to achieve a 17% CAGA per annum performance, like, oh, shit, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) But that's how it works. I mean, the market's always going to have those external forces, Ukraine wars and Taiwan issues and OPEC embargoes, all that kind of stuff's going to affect it. But that's why we just stick to our knitting, right? We don't pay attention to the macro, really. I love that. Like, uh, it shocks me all the time when I realise this stuff just the system just works. The way that you've designed it, it just ticks along and... Yep. And look, this is the last few months, I think, have been very active. You know, I've been selling things, being real, buy something, real, want it, sell it, 
so it's a bit unusual and and the market's been going down but but yeah it's this is just how it happens it's um i remember speaking with phil muscatello early on too and he said he was shocked at how he had thought macro issues were going to drive the stock market and you know whether it was a liberal or labor government in power was going to drive the stock market and who was president of the u.s was going to drive the stock market and all this stuff and to a certain extent it does but i'm like no if you're an investor like how does you know the person in power in the u.s affect bhp or combank or whatever there's some impact but it's not not it's nothing compared to their business model yeah and i uh, and i get phil's um surprise because i think most of us who aren't active investors sitting on the sidelines assume that and, and i guess one of the things that i've learned doing this show over the last few years is that the investing marketplace is very similar to the tech marketplace, which I'm much more familiar with, where most of what's going on is just hype and bullshit. Like it's this constant hype cycle. Lingo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's this constant cycle of the media, the financial media, the investment media in this case, versus the tech media trying to sell papers and ads and and keep their radio audience up and their television audience up by either talking hype or doom and gloom you know they they bounce between the two and if you pay attention to that and take it seriously you're always you're running from one pole to the other pole trying to figure out oh my god what's going on and this is up and I don't want to miss out on that or this is going to crash but where where you sit it's just this little bubble of uh, <laughs> you know it's a QAV bubble <laughs> you just yeah. sit in it and just go, eh, bubble, just bubble boy. Yeah. <laughs> Two bubble boys. No, well, that's nothing new. I mean, Ben Graham said it a hundred years ago. Tune out the noise. Yeah, right. And but it's it's for real. It's not just a mantra. It's for real. Like once once you get comfortable with using a system, you do just tune out the noise and just look at the numbers. Huh? Yeah, exactly. And as you said before, like. Yes, whoever's in power, macroeconomic issues are going to affect uh, individual sectors or individual businesses or interest rates and how much how costly it is to borrow money and the flow-on effects of that. But at the end of the day, we're just looking at businesses. How's the business doing? Doing good? Yeah, it's doing good. Can we buy it at a reasonable price? Yes or no? Everything else just doesn't really matter. I can only think of maybe three or four times, if that, where some macro issue has really had an impact on my investing. I'm thinking back to when Kevin Rudd was in power and he wanted to change the laws on on leases in terms of how, you know, whether or not they're included in fringe benefits tax. And I owned a company that did car leases and they, they crashed, so that was one. Obviously, things like the price of oil going up and down can be affected by macro. But again, like which in the liquid market, that's the beauty of the ASX. It's not like we're having to put all our money into one stock for the rest of our lives. I know that's that'd be really cool to do, and that's what Buffett says you should do. But even he doesn't do it really, so it's hard to do. But you know, the the beauty of it is, if the oil price goes down, we can sell our oil stocks and we can you know find something else to buy with them. So the macro the macro may affect the stocks we're holding, but it doesn't affect the system. Yeah, it, it may affect individual stocks, but then we just sell them and buy something else, you know. Yeah, well, enough blowing smoke up your ass, TK. 
What do you got to talk about this week before we get into questions? Bit of an overview on reporting season. It's it's been a bit of a reversal of fortune for some of the stocks. Like I, I sold Beach Energy going in. Well, I think just the day that they reported that they crashed a little bit. Now they're back up and they're back on the buy list. I think challenges was on. Now it's back off. So there's been a few where I've rule one them, but now they're buys again. So uh, you're not becoming a rule one skeptic, are you? Not becoming a quaverick? Not, <laughs> not at all. But it is. I guess what I'm saying is it's very choppy sort of time in the share market. So there's been a reversal of fortune from some of the stocks. Some of our old friends are back on the buy list. And I've found this over the years that there are stocks which you know, they come and go off the buy list. And NCK is one of them, right? So it'll, it comes on the buy list and then it'll go for a run and uh, the price will be too high for a while and it'll come back and then it'll go, we'll be able to buy it again and go for a run. So it's kind of the perfect stock for QAV, right? Because it comes on the buy list, you buy it, it goes up in price, you hold on, but it starts to come down, you sell it. And it had this big problem where it came out that it was pleasuring itself in front of women and it had to go away for a while. Oh, no, so that was Louis C.K., not N.C.K., different. <laughs> it's, the, it's their brother, their cousin, Louis C.K., had to go away. Now they've come back and they seem to be, uh, they've been not regurgitated. What's the, rehabilitated. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, dear. But, yes, I mean, some of the old friends are back. Super Cheap Auto, Bell Financial Group, Whitehaven Coal. You know, we've seen... I think we've seen these days before since QAV's been going, but I've certainly seen them back and forth on the buy list over the years, so they're quite familiar. Oh, Whitehaven's had an up day today too. I've been putting off buying it for the last couple of days because it was having down days, but uh, it's having a good day today so we can buy it. Yeah, good. Uh, I want to uh, out myself for making a mistake, but we'll see what happens. So two things happened last week. One was Karoon Gas and... Viva Energy released their results and their shares went up and they came on the buy list and they were buys. And I was pretty excited because I've been watching both of them for a while now. I've kind of wondered why Karim wasn't on the buy list. They've been going down while Santos and Beach, et cetera, have been going up. And, you know, Viva's my old company. It's the old shell business minus oh, really? the service stations, which are run by Coles now. Yeah, so I was happy I was happy to buy into them. And then a couple of days later, I thought, oh, hang on. Is the oil price not a Josephine? <laughs> so... I probably shouldn't have bought them because the oil oh. price was going down. Anyway, so I made a mistake. I'll, I'll three-point trade those now, see how we go. Good to know that you still make mistakes. You're still human, TKO. I got eager. I got eager. You bought NWS as well, somebody pointed out on, yeah. uh, somewhere. I mean, oh, I, <laughs> I, I did it with regret. I'm, I am not a fan of News Corps. <laughs> but they haven't even been a buy, have they? On one particular day, I think the 16th of August, I did a download. Like they were at the top of the buy list with a QAV score of 0.9. And I went, wow, big company QAV score 0.9. I can buy it. And I bought it. And then the next time I did a download, it's gone. And I looked into it and, and there was some kind of data error. So the number of shares in the first, on the 16th of August that came down in Stock Doctor was much smaller than the number of shares every other day since then. So I don't know if it was a Stock Doctor error or it was a, you know, where they get their data from error, but it dropped. It, it The shares outstanding on the 16th of August downloaded as 42 million, which made their prop cap very high because their operating cash flow per share was in dollars. And then if you look, at, look it up now, there's 581 million, so more than 10 times the number of shares. And they have a QAV score much lower, like 0.04, I think it is now. So something went wrong with the data, and I jumped in and bought it. 
when somebody, I can't remember who it was, pointed out that you had bought it. I went and had, I noticed that you bought it on the 16th. I went and had a look at the buy list that I put out on the 15th. And um, I noticed that it had a really low score then. How many shares did you say? Shares on issue. So on the 16th of August, it downloaded as 42 million. And now it's, uh, where's the number? 581 million. Well, when we did the checklist on the 15th, it had a score of, I don't have the shares issue here, but the shares on issue, it had a score of 0.03 when I did it on the 15th, well, when Alex did it on the 15th. Yeah, so that probably, that what may have been the old results is, can you see the date of those results? Yeah. Was the new results oh, okay, came out. Yep. I haven't checked with Stock Doctor, but I think what's happened is the day they released the results, someone stuffed up the data and they corrected it quickly and found it out. Ah, right. Okay. So that explains those two. Talk to me about SGM. Somebody else pointed out on Facebook that they're a scrap metal recycler and that the scrap metal price should be tied to the iron ore price. So if, how does that work from our perspective? Yeah, no, it's definitely an iron ore link. So I don't know what SGM's called now. It used to be called Sims Metal Group. That's what it is still, yeah. Oh, it is still, is it? Okay, because I, I know they had a bit of a scandal. And they re, I thought they rebranded, but anyway. It's a scrap metal company, um, recycling company. But yeah, so the scrap metal price, for some reason, it's it's known as the Turkey 8020. So it's, uh, it's uh, Turkey must be the center of scrap metal recycling in the world or something. But it, it generally moves in lockstep to the iron ore price. When I saw the question, I did go online and try and find a five-year price graph for the Turkey 8020, but I couldn't. But I did find plenty of articles saying it runs in unison with the iron ore price. It's lower, obviously, because it's recycled iron ore rather than stuff out of the ground, but it follows the same curve. So does that mean iron ore for us as a Josephine at the moment, we shouldn't buy SGM because iron ore is a Josephine? Correct. Well, I did make it a stock of the week a couple of weeks ago, so I, I apologise to everyone where I did that. Yeah, so again, like, we all make mistakes, as I did with a couple of stocks there. Just three-point trade it. And when it you know, either becomes a rule one, sell it, or a three-point trend line, sell it, sell it. But um, if yeah, it may go up. Yeah, I think, it, I think it has gone up since I added it to a portfolio. The company itself scores well. It's the underlying commodity, which is having problems. I, I think iron ore is close to being a sell anyway. So if it becomes a sell, we would sell SGM along with yeah. our iron ore stocks. Unless someone okay. can point out where to get a five-year graph for the uh, scrap metal price, uh, I haven't been able to find it. So when you say you'll three-point trade them, you'll just keep an eye on uh, these stocks that you've bought by mistake. You keep an eye on their individual three points, and in the case of something like this, also the iron or the oil with KVA. Correct. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV Club member, which is access to the checklist and and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc., 
uh, sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, you know, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Um, check that out too. Um, it's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-T. G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. you find that on our website too. All right. Have a great week and good luck with your investing. QAV Podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.